Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. At least 20 homes have been destroyed in a fire in the coastal community of Laguna Niguel in Orange County. Orange County Fire Authority officials say the fire, which started yesterday afternoon and is driven by offshore winds, has burned at least 200 acres with no containment. Here's Orange County Fire Authority Chief Brian Fennessy speaking at a news conference last night. You know, what we experienced was a fire, wind-driven, down and, and relatively, you know, level, flat terrain until it hit the side of that slope. And fire is always going to run uphill faster, wind or no wind, but when you have that strong a wind blowing that fire uphill, and, and if you're familiar with that area, it is extremely steep, extremely thick vegetation that has not burned in, in probably decades. Once it's got a hold, and started up that hill, I, I think we all saw that. It, as soon as I got to my car at headquarters, you could see the, a tremendous smoke column, and we knew that we had a, a significant fire. The fire has forced mandatory evacuations in several neighborhoods. Fennessy says because of the dry conditions, this could be commonplace in the coming months. These are uh, our coastal winds that we experience generally every day. The big difference is, and we're seeing it again, with the climate change, the fuels beds in this county throughout Southern California, throughout the West are so dry that, you know, fire like this is going to be more commonplace. There have been no reports of deaths or injuries due to the blaze. Two Starbucks stores in Santa Cruz have voted to become the first in the state to unionize. Joe Thompson leads the California branch of Starbucks Workers United. We can breathe and know that we won and, you know, we're going to continue fighting for our contract and for other workers to unionize. Thompson says the push to unionize was brought on by understaffing and other issues during the pandemic, including unsafe working conditions. We really want to make sure our baristas feel safe coming to work every day. Um, additionally, you know, better pay, wages, um, you know, make sure everyone has adequate hours. Since January, more than 20 Starbucks stores in California have started the process to unionize, joining hundreds of others across the U.S. Two more locations in the Los Angeles area are expected to vote in the coming weeks. In other labor news, resident doctors gathered in front of L.A. County USC Medical Center in downtown Los Angeles yesterday to protest low pay. And as KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, they could soon go on strike. 
More than 1,300 unionized resident doctors at three L.A. County-run hospitals want a 7% raise. They accuse county officials of negotiating in bad faith and plan to hold a strike authorization vote next week. Camilla Alvarado is a second-year resident at Harbor UCLA. She says it's hard to find housing on a resident's salary. They know we're doctors and they see us with their white coats, so they think we make what you would think a doctor makes. But if you divide it by the number of hours we work, which is about 80 hours a week, we actually make uh, about minimum wage, if not less than minimum wage. Residents are doctors in training, and L.A. County operates some of the largest teaching hospitals in the country. The residents' contract expired in September. County officials say in a statement that negotiations are ongoing, and they're hopeful that a fair and fiscally responsible agreement can be reached. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. And several nurses from California are in Washington, D.C. today to raise awareness about legislation aimed at improving workplace conditions. Jennifer Hughes is a nurse at Valley Medical Center in San Jose and vice president of the Registered Nurses Professional Association. She says she's been bit, punched, and spat on by patients. Workplace violence is on the rise and nurses are getting assaulted at alarming rates. And they're actually in the midst of a nursing crisis, nursing shortage. They're, they're leaving the profession often because they get assaulted. Legislation that's pending in the Senate would require OSHA to issue a standard for healthcare employers to develop violence prevention plans in the workplace. A second bill before Congress would require minimum nurse to patient staffing ratios. Governor Gavin Newsom is sending a $125 million plan to legislators as part of his revised state budget that would help subsidize abortion services. $40 million would be set aside for abortion service providers to help cover the cost for uninsured residents as the state prepares for a possible influx of out-of-state patients if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. Governor Newsom is also proposing new incentives for businesses looking to relocate to California from states with anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ laws. Think Texas and Florida. In a statement, Newsom said he wants those who are seeking an abortion to know that California will recognize and protect their fundamental rights. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Lawmakers advanced a bill Wednesday that would get rid of a rule in the state's constitution that has stymied affordable housing developments in California for decades. KQED's Molly Solomon reports this is the fourth attempt at repealing the law, which has its roots in racist housing policies. It's called Article 34, and it's embedded in California's constitution. It forces cities to get voter approval to build public housing. The rule made it into the Constitution in 1950 after pushback on a public housing proposal in the Humboldt County city of Eureka. State Senator Scott Weiner is behind the repeal effort and says the original campaign was fueled by racist fears of integration. You had communities that did not want low-income people, did not want Black people living in their neighborhoods. That's, that's why this was created. In the years that followed, Article 34 resulted in less low-income housing in California. The LA Times reported recently that by 1969, voters had turned down nearly half the public housing proposed in Article 34 elections. The measure has allowed communities to avoid racial integration and rejected people with low incomes by blocking development. Kendra Lewis is the executive director of Sacramento Housing Alliance. She says there are ways to fund and build affordable housing today that get around the limitations of Article 34. But it's still a barrier developers have to consider that can make projects more costly and drag them out for years. Basically, our affordable housing builders have so many hurdles and oftentimes projects um, that should be going forward do not. Earlier this year, the proposed amendment passed the Senate unanimously and is making its way through the Assembly. Lawmakers have until the end of June to decide whether to include it on the November ballot. Part of that decision hinges on money and gaining enough support from interest groups to finance a multi-million dollar campaign. For the California Report... I'm Molly Solomon. The June primary is just weeks away. And this morning, we have our third story in a series examining the field of candidates running to be California Attorney General. The current AG, Democrat Rob Bonta, is facing three serious challengers. We've already heard from Republican candidates Nathan Hawkman and Eric Early. Today, KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos tells us about the only no-party preference candidate in the race, Anne-Marie Schubert. Sacramento District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert is a lifelong prosecutor, and she says that's why voters should make her California's top cop. Why do I want this job? Because it's all I've ever done, and I believe very much in public safety and victims' rights. I've watched the demise of public safety around California. I'm going to step into this role to help lead this state back to a balanced public safety system. Schubert worked as a prosecutor in Contra Costa and Solano counties before coming home to the Sacramento DA's office in 1996. Elected district attorney there in 2014, she made headlines for helping crack the decades-old Golden State killer case using forensic DNA and genealogy databases. She also got heat when she declined to charge two police officers who shot Stephen Clark to death in his grandmother's backyard. Schubert cites violent crime as a top priority, pledging to get more money and resources to law enforcement and push for longer criminal sentences. Clearly, the issue of violent crime is the most pressing. It's the the issue of violent crime and illegal guns. She's an outspoken critic of many of the state's recent criminal justice reforms, including Proposition 57, which lets prisoners who participate in rehabilitation earn shorter sentences. 
But Schubert says no one's making sure those rehab programs actually work. When we're identifying, prosecuting, convicting those individuals, we're doing everything we can to make sure that they are not only held accountable and not released after simply perhaps a third of their sentence, but we're also making sure that they are rehabilitated. With abortion rights front of mind, this former Republican says she's pro-choice and horrified that other states would bar even rape victims from ending a pregnancy. But on another hot-button issue, gun control, Schubert says the state needs more enforcement of existing laws, not new limits on guns. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. And finally today, let's turn to our state sequoia trees. Enormous and ancient, they're synonymous with the natural beauty of California. But sequoias, which generally grow on the western slopes of the Sierra Nevada mountains, are also in jeopardy because of climate change and wildfires. So an effort is kicked off to start planting new California sequoias. But not here rather in the United Kingdom, where it's hoped the trees will be safe from high temperatures and fire in England and Wales. The group behind the effort is called One Life, One Tree, and its founder is Henry Empson. I reached Empson on a scratchy line to Britain where he was in a rural area. He started by telling me about the sheer enormity of the trees. You know, we have nothing like that in the United Kingdom, nothing close to being that big. And what's interesting about sequoias is not only do they grow extremely large, but they live for an exceptionally long time. Some of your oldest in the States are 3,000 years old. So we're looking to create a new safe haven for them without the danger of wildfires. The United Kingdom has a fantastic temperate, high rainfall climate in certain areas, particularly sort of West Coast, which are very suitable to sequoias. So we're, we're trying to create a sort of reserve, a backup, in case things continue to escalate with climate change in, in, in their native habitat, which is threatening them as a species. So in a sense, it's the United Kingdom as a kind of ecological lifeboat for the sequoias. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, this isn't us dreaming this up on our own. You know, we've spoken to experts in the field, and there really is legitimate and genuine concern about their survival in their natural habitat. So we're taking action now to make sure that there is that lifeboat. And, you know, nothing would make me less happy than if things did continue to get worse in California for the sequoias. But taking action now gives us a a better hope for the future for this species. How many trees have you planted and what's your goal? So 1,500 have been planted to date. The goal is to replicate what remains today in the U.S. So we want to see ourselves planting 100,000 giant sequoias in the United Kingdom as a sort of genetic reservoir, as it were, or genetic reserve for those, uh, for the species. As you know, these trees have inspired awe for a long time. People have written about standing in a forest of sequoias and feeling like they're in a cathedral in the natural world. Do you think the planting of the trees there in the UK, knowing what they'll grow into, offers something of that transcendental experience? I I can't explain it. When you go with someone out into the field to go and plant a tree. And it, it doesn't matter if they're planting it, you know, in memory of a family member or for themselves. When they dig the hole and put the roots in the ground and start what is effectively a 3,000-year legacy, it's extraordinary. If you were to look back as far as these things are going to live going forward, you're going back to the time of the pyramids and before the Roman Empire. So when people plant these trees, there's no building that you could build that will last as long as these trees will live. 
it is a spiritual uh, experience. People are brought to tears regularly. It's one of the most rewarding parts of why we do this. It's hugely compelling and, and it's joyful. Every time we do it, it's just joyful and meaningful. All right. That is Henry Emson of the group One Life, One Tree in the United Kingdom. Mr. Emson, I want to thank you for your time and for your efforts to save California's sequoias in your part of the world. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Saul. It's been a real pleasure. All of a sudden, I want to plant a tree. And that is the California Report for Thursday, May 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare. Alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from DrinkHint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.